I cast my cares on, I cast my cares on, I cast my cares on you. I cast my cares on, I cast my cares on, I cast my cares on you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at, at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us here in this space as well as online. Welcome. At this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 24. There you go. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning. I know you'll make a way And I don't always understand I don't always get to see But I will believe it I will believe it You make You make mountains move You make giants fall You use songs of praise To shake prison will end in victory I will believe it yes I will believe it you make mountains move you make giants fall you use songs of praise to shake prison walls and I will speak to my fear I will preach to my doubt you are faithful then you'll be faithful now you are faithful then you'll be faithful now and i know that i know you never fail yes i know that i know you never will 
kids head over to the side there and hopefully I won't screw it up like Andrew <laughs> so we can have one job be better than Andrew <laughs> all right <laughs> I better go over here so I can read it yeah <laughs> All right, looks like they're over there. Okay, adults, let's get this right. The Lord be with you. All right. <laughs> it's always good to see that and them go out like that. It's been a long time for Shelly and I, so. All right, let's pray together uh, using words from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. This is a difficult day for us, Lord. 
For what we saw in the heavens on this day in 2001 was death and terror. Yet out of hurt comes healing, and out of sorrow comes joy. For we acknowledge the heavens do indeed declare your glory. The sun continues to rise at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. You are on the throne, and to you we give all glory and honor. For your law is perfect and refreshes your soul. Your precepts are right, giving us joy. Your commands are radiant, giving light to our eyes. Your decrees are firm and righteous. Your precepts, commands, and decrees are more precious than gold, sweeter than honey, and by them we are warned, because you are alone our God. I, as your servant, cannot sit with you on your throne, for you are God and I am not. Lord, we as your body here at Hardwike and at Fusion, we're not blameless. Forgive us our hidden faults. Forgive us from the willful sins of our hearts. Turn our eyes toward you so that we might experience your peace. Some of us are experiencing difficulty with health. Walk alongside us. Some of us are anxious in spirit because we are unsettled at work. Walk alongside us. Some of us are tired because of the care we are giving others. Give us your support and strength. Develop us to be your agents of renewal in this fallen world by equipping us to seek your, you first. Empower us to be your hands and feet in this world so that your name will be praised. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord and our rock and redeemer. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. I was trying to think of some kind of creative comeback, but I got nothing. So it's just good to be together. It's good to, to chuckle and laugh and have fun. Amen. And uh, it's also good to lean into God's word. And we're going to do that uh, today, starting a new series. Before we jump in, um, a couple of just quick announcements. Today is a special day. Uh, today is the Mika's Lunch Fundraiser. And we might need a little bit of help because that's taking place right here in the great room at noon. And so if, if you have some extra time and want to help kind of turn over the room, I'm sure they'd accept that help. And if you want a wonderful pork dinner, uh, pig roast, stay, support our ministry in the Dominican Republic. Also, this Wednesday is the uh, fall carnival, so check that out. Uh, check your announcements there. And the story, we're starting a new series, The Books Finally Came. And so there's a few copies. Of the, we have about a dozen per community. Uh, if you'd like a copy, there's some in the back. Um, and what this is, is this is the new series. We'll, we'll talk a bit about that a little bit in, in just a second. Um, but if you're also interested in some, some small group discussion, certainly you can, you can lead the way and form some groups or whatever, but we're going to have a discussion time on Wednesday nights uh, during community night. So we gather after the carnival will be our Wednesday nights, community nights. We'll have dinner. Kids will do their thing. And if you want to have a little uh, kind of informal, lighthearted discussion, we'll be doing that here in the red brick building. Sound good? With that, though, um, we are starting a new series, and we're using this resource, The Story. What The Story is, is it, they're the words of Scripture uh, and set in chronological order, and it's not every word, but then they summarize different sections, but it's the NIV Scriptures with some summaries included so that we can kind of take in the full narrative thread that runs through this book of the Bible, this book that we love. Um, one of the things that they did was they took out the, the verse, the chapter and verse numbers. And so the story reads more like a novel with these summaries. And, and the hope is that it becomes this like easy way to step back into a rhythm of daily or, or weekly scripture reading or uh, for the first time. Maybe, maybe you've, you've thought about reading through the Bible in a year or one of those plans, but it Maybe you got into Leviticus and it's like, oh man, this is a way to step into the full narrative story of scripture. And so we're excited about the series. Hopefully you're excited. If we run out of books, we can always order more. And if you want to make a donation to offset the cost, they were $5. You can find them for a higher price elsewhere, but we'll try to get more if we need to find more. 
Anyway, to begin this morning, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to cover the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. But before we do that, just some Bible basics, okay? Uh, so here's kind of just a little graph I put together on, on the scriptures. You'll see the, the Old and the New Testament for Christians. The Bible consists of Old and New Testament. The Old Testament... There on the left there, uh, it, there's an acronym. We call it the Old Testament. It's really the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible is the Bible, the scriptures, Jesus. I mean, that was Jesus' Bible. And there's an acronym, TNK, Tanakh. Uh, that stands for Torah, which means law. Uh, the the Nevi'im, which is the prophets. The Ketuvim, which is the writings. And so in the Old Testament, there are these three parts of the Old Testament. The Tanakh, they consist of various forms, genres of literature. There's narrative but it's not all stories, right? There's also poetry and songs. There's what's called prose discourse, which is a fancy way of, of really kind of summarizing the laws, right? These are just statements. These are commands. Uh, that's a form of prose discourse. And together they form this one unified story of God and God's people, Israel, though it's not always written in chronological order. So that's the advantage here is they've taken the different books and the prophets in the story and put them in a chronological order so that you can get uh, kind of a sense of the full story of the old, but then also what we call the New Testament. The New Testament continues the story 400 years later. There's some writings there that kind of fill in that gap. We call those the apocryphal writings. Uh, but the New Testament is the story uh, that, that picks up 400 years later with the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. It consists of the Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus' life, uh, four stories telling the same thing, right? And then the Acts of the Apostles, which is the story of the early church after the Gospels. And then there's a series of letters written by the apostles of Jesus, most of them written by Paul, but there's other apostles that wrote those letters as well. And then finally, the Revelation of John. The Revelation written by John. Again, in these different movements of the New Testament, you have a series of different genres of literature. We have narrative or story, obviously the Gospels and Acts, but then there's prose, prose discourse, which is a, a, makes me, I don't know, that sounds like a fancy way, but that's the letters, right? These are just, these are, these are correspondence written to church communities, and then there's all this poetry that's woven together as well. Again, important to note that the New Testament for sure is not written chronologically. All of these letters are actually organized by size. The longest letters come first and then followed by shorter letters. First with Paul and then the other apostles' letters, okay? Do you see why this is helpful? <laughs> so all of these letters then are put in order in to, to form one story. That's why the story, this resource, is helpful. I don't know about you, but this, is, this was my experience growing up, and I'm so grateful for my experience growing up. Grew up in the church, um, but as Christians, we believe that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. Cross-reference Jesus on the road to Emmaus. He summarizes all of the, the law and the prophets and, and shows how they lead to him. Growing up, I knew the stories. I knew many of the stories. Like I, in Sunday school, I learned all the stories of, of God's people in Israel and there were all these kind of standalone stories. But it wasn't until seminary, maybe even beyond seminary, where I began to see how all of those stories weave together as one unified story that leads to Jesus. Um, it's, 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 and so that's what we're hoping to, see, to, to help us see is this unified story that leads us to Jesus. And how we're going to kind of look at it is each week we're going to look at what's happening in the story on kind of the ground level. And the language we're going to use is that's the lower story. So we're going to cover what the Bible's talking about on, on the ground level, the lower story. But we're also going to consider how that fits in with God's grand redemptive narrative, right? And we're going to call that the upper story. And so we're going to kind of use that language, the lower story, the upper story. And then at the end of it all, we're going to try to figure out how that intersects with our stories. Sound good? Lower story, upper story, our story. That's going to kind of be the general movement, at least, that we're going to start with. Deep breath. Okay. We're going to start with Genesis. And this morning, looking at just a quick little overview of Genesis, there's two main movements in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 through 11 is God and his world. And then the, the second part of the book of Genesis, starting with chapter 12, is really the account of God and his chosen people, the descendants of Abraham. 
right? And so today we are going to cover chapters 1 through 11, and then that second movement we're going to split into two weeks. Simple, right? No problem. Okay. So first 11 chapters of Genesis we're going to try to cover. Obviously, we're going to get major themes, okay? But to enter in, we're going to read Genesis 1, uh, the whole chapter. And so we're talking about story. We're going to enter into the story. So if you're willing and able, I invite you to stand. If you need to sit at any time, feel free to do that as well. Uh, But we stand to honor God as he speaks to us through his word. Genesis 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the water from water. So God made the vault and separated the waters under the vault from the waters above it. And it was so, he called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called the seas. God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, And and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night, and he also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about within it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make humankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit within, with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Pray with me. O good creator God, We remember today that you are the one who created the heavens and the earth. Lord, that you are the one who created each and every one of us. That all of life and all that we see comes from you. Lord, we pray that you would remind us once again of the awe and wonder of of your world and all that came to follow, so that, Lord, we would be formed more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. God's people say, amen. I have to take a little deep breath. The Bible, right? We refer to it as, as, as God's word, holy scripture. We, be- we believe that the Bible contains all we need to know for our salvation. But when you open the Bible and read it, did, do you notice that it's not primarily an instruction manual? It's not primarily a, a theological essay or, or handbook. The Bible, the sacred text, is primarily a story. Almost half of the words written in the Bible are, are in the, 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 the genre of, of narrative, telling the story, our story, God's story. So the question is, why, why story? Why does God give us this holy book and, and so much of it is story? Well, well, consider with me just for a moment how much of our memory, how much of the things that you remember uh, are shaped by stories. If I were to say, tell me, tell me about a, f- a family member or a loved one, right? right? We do this at big events, uh, important events in our lives like weddings or, or at funerals. We remember and, we, and what do we do? We could list characteristics about that person that we love. We could, we could talk about, oh, they were, they're funny or they're loving or they're brave. But, but I bet what actually happens is you may say that, but what comes to follow is what? A story that captures that truth about that person in a way that those words just kind of fall short. Why story? Here's some examples. Maybe, maybe you get together with your friends and you remember that this one friend is just so funny and you could say, oh yeah, such and such was funny, but actually what you remember is the times that they pulled all those pranks on you in college, right? Or maybe you, you remember a grandma, and you remember this grandmother as someone who was so loving and so hospitable, and those words carry meaning, but what comes to mind is, is how your grandma brought fresh baked cookies over to your house every Tuesday after school. Or maybe you, you think about a, a father who, who was just a hard worker and you could talk about work ethic or you could remember and tell the story about how your father worked three or four jobs just to make ends meet and provide for your family. Or how about this one? We, we could talk about bravery, we could talk about courage and we could talk about those who, who serve our community. Or as Jeff mentioned in his prayer, we could tell a story about 21 years ago today. When those men and women in uniform didn't walk away from a building that was about to collapse, they walked toward it. And that captures bravery and courage in a way that our words seem to fall short or fall flat. You see, stories stay with us. Stories shape us. Stories help us remember. And even more than that, stories invite us in to what is true. And so God, in his wisdom and his grace, gives us his word, and almost half of it is story. His story. History. God's story. Our story. His word. 
And now before we jump into the story itself and start exploring Genesis, a quick word on the, some of the differences between ancient narrative, ancient literature, and modern narrative, because there's some differences and it's important to mention those. A couple things. The Bible, you gotta remember, was written a couple thousands of years ago in a very different time and place. We talk a lot about context and why that's important. But it's also important to remember a couple things about the Bible. The Bible was initially passed down orally. Like this was oral tradition passed down for generations and generations. And then once it was actually written down, and there's some debate about when it was written down, but once it was written down, right, it was written down on scrolls, scrolls that are expensive and rare. And most people couldn't read in that context. Most people heard the words, heard the stories of Scripture, heard the Torah and the law read aloud in synagogue, right? And so it was this, this verbal communication, and that's important. Why is that important? Because if it's an oral tradition or people are memorizing these words and, and scrolls are expensive, it's important to recognize that there's a lot less words used in the narratives of Scripture. How many of you read novels, right? And some of those novels contain all kinds of details, like pages and pages of details to kind of help you imagine. Well, we have the printing press and books are so prevalent, but... There, there aren't a lot of details in the scriptural stories, right? And so, but here's the other thing. When there are details given, pay attention. Because there's no wasted details. There's no wasted words because words are too valuable in ancient writings. Second thing to, to make note of, these are, these are verbal, these are spoken for, for the longest time of history. And so it's important to recognize that there's no punctuation, Right? There was no punctuation in ancient Hebrew, right? So there was no exclamation points. There was no bolded letters. We have all kinds of ways of adding emphasis to our text message. And e bold, there's no italics. Believe it or not, there were no emojis, okay? There were no emojis in ancient literature. So instead, there were just different strategies used to add emphasis. And so when you're reading scripture, pay attention to repetition. Words that repeat. That's, that's drawing your attention to something. Themes that repeat throughout the, the scriptural narrative. Imagery, names have meaning. Numbers carry meaning. These are all things to kind of just cue you in, to pay attention to those things. And then finally, I mentioned this before, but the chapters and the verses were a later edition. So, so when, we, when you pick up a copy of the story and there's no numbers like chapters and verses, it can be a little frustrating because those are very helpful to find your place. But actually, the original text didn't have chapter one and chapter two. And those chapter verses aren't always organized in a way that make a ton of sense. Like, did you notice that our, our text today, like the seven days of creation kind of spilled over into chapter two, right? It's like, why'd they do that? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Uh, so anyway, that kind of just gives us a framework for some of the differences between biblical narrative, ancient literature, and modern literature. It's important to make note of those things. Now let's look at Genesis 1 through 11. We're not going to be able to do this every week, uh, but I know we were a little late with the story. Um, uh, but what I want to do is kind of give us an overview of these 11 chapters. Again, we're referring to this, what's happening in these 11 chapters. This is the lower story. I'm going to try to do it in like 90 seconds, okay? Genesis 1 through 11, what's happening on the ground floor, on the earth level? Genesis is divided into two main sections, chapters 1 through 11. God and, the, and, and his world, and then Abra God and Abraham's family, chapters 12 through 50. Again, we're going to cover chapters 1 through 11, so that kind of first section right there. There's some primary movements in the text. Chapters 1 and 2 is the testimony of God creating the world, creating the universe and everything in it, included in that humanity as God's image bearers. That's important. Then comes chapter three. This is the fall narrative, right? Uh, where sin enters the world, the, the account of a serpent and fruit and shame and sin entering the world. From there, it's a downward spiral. And chapter four is Cain killing his brother Abel, the first uh, murder, right? And things just spiral out of control with Cain and Abel and then Cain's descendant Lamech whose who's, who's, who's sin just is exponential until we get to chapter six where we're told that wickedness has covered the face of the earth and God decides that things have gotten so bad that it's time to start over. And the flood story which fills all of our, our children's storybook Bibles because animals are cute, yes they are, is actually a terrifying account of God destroying the earth and starting over with the family, Noah and his sons and their wives, right? 
And the idea was that we'd start over and maybe things would get better, but what we see after Noah, Noah was a broken, sinful man. And again, that downward spiral continues in chapters 9 through 11 till we get to the Tower of Babel where the sin of Adam and Eve trying to be like God gets repeated once again and the people on the earth are trying to build a tower to get to God, to be like God. And God, this is where the language is, that there's confusion and people are spread out across the face of the earth. Did I do it in 90 seconds? Was it close? Maybe. Probably, probably didn't hit that mark. But now what we're going to pick up next week is, is God has a new plan. No longer. He promises never to destroy the earth again. There's a new plan. It's going to come through a family, a promised family of Abraham. We're going to get there next week. But today what I want to do is cover some of these major themes in the first 11 chapters of Genesis and there's a lot to cover because there's some, some foundational themes and ideas and truths and realities that get laid in these first 11 chapters that are going to get carried on throughout the rest of the biblical narrative and history, right? So here's the thing. When we're reading scripture, what do these stories teach us about God? These are important questions. What, do these, what does this story teach us about God's world, which includes us as God's people or just people in general? These are the upper story questions. These are such important questions to ask when you're reading scripture. What does this teach us about God and about God's world and about humanity? These are the questions that frame the story of God's, God and God's people. So let's ask that question and identify three different things. The first is this. The Bible teaches us something about creation. The Bible teaches us something about creation. Chapters one and two teaches about God bringing order from chaos. We read the most important verse on this truth this morning right away. Chapter one, chapter one verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the most important verse about creation. The, the story, the Bible opens with us telling us that God created the heavens and the earth. God created the universe. God created everything we see. Everything that we see came from a single point. It was the mouth of God. Whatever you believe about how that took place or how long that took place, what we all agree on is that it all came from God and God made it happen. Here's where Genesis 1 tells us something incredible about the God we worship. God brings order from chaos. Notice verse two picks up. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. By the way, a little Trinitarian uh, theology right there in verse two, right? But, but there was this formless and emptiness, right? Nothingness, dark, chaotic waters is described. It is, waters symbolize chaos and God speaks creation into existence in this context. God bringing order from chaos. Now we move ahead and there's seven days described, right? In chapter one and spilling over into chapter two. Six days of creation, one day of rest, Order out of nothingness. Form and order out of the chaotic waters, but there's more. We go to the next slide. There's this pattern. There's a pattern. There are these parallels in the six days. D do you see it? Days one and four, there's a parallel. Days two and five, there's a parallel. Days three and six, there's this movement and order in this creation account. Look at the, the columns. God orders days one through three. God creates and orders the spaces in the universe and on the earth, creating day and night, water and sky, land, right? And then days four through six, God fills those spaces that he has created, so in day one, God creates day and night. Day four, he fills the day and night with the lights that would rule the day and the night, sun, moon, and stars. Day two, God separates the waters above and the waters below, creating this vault he calls sky. And day, three, day five, he fills the sky with birds and he fills the waters with fish. Day three, he separates the waters, forming dry land. And day six, he fills he fills that space that he just created with the animals that crawl on the earth. 
There's something beautiful in what the author is trying to communicate to us about God, that God is one who brings order and goodness more and more with each passing day. And it all culminates with those who would bear God's very image, humanity. God creates male and female in his own image. There's something beautiful that's being communicated about the God that we serve and worship. And at the end of all this, what does he say? He says it is very, very good. What is Genesis 1 and 2 telling us about the God we worship? Telling us something that's, that, that contrasts with, the, with a secular view of the origins of the universe. When science tries to explain the origins of the universe, and let me just say, I, I, I love science, and I think we should look to science. It's a beautiful thing. But when science tries to explain the origins of the universe and tries to remove God from the equation, tries to remove any kind of divine being or agency from this world and the origins of the world that we see, the result is that at best, we won the most improbable cosmic lottery, right? If everything that we see is simply by chance and there was no divine agency ordering and bringing things into being, we are the luckiest people ever because it's just this cosmic lottery, right? No, Genesis tells us that the world has an order and it comes from God that there is this beauty and this symbiotic relationship within the created world that is all part of God's design. And humanity was then created to be in this relationship with God. And not only that, but to care for this earth that he called good. Again, secular worldviews, and, and, and I just mean by any worldview that tries to remove God from the equation simply cannot account for purpose or the unique value of human life, right? This forms, forms how we view the world, creation. The second thing, the second major movement that the, the book of Genesis begins to form for us is it gives us a frame, framework for what's gone wrong. Creation, but then also a framework for sin. God's world was created good and beautiful, but what we all witness in this life is that there's something wrong in this world. There's something broken in the created world. And Genesis 3 helps form some framework for how to understand what has gone wrong and informs us that it's, it's sin. And the source of sin is, is not from God, we're told, but it's, it's from humanity, right? What begins in the garden with a serpent and a piece of fruit continues to f- the following chapters to erode away all the goodness of God's creation. Cain kills his brother Abel out of jealousy. Cain's descendants, Lamech, his sin is multiplied exponentially in chapter 4 until wick- wickedness has covered the face of the earth by chapter 6. What the Bible does, kind of big picture, is gives us language to frame and recognize what we see in this world as broken sin and evil, and it helps us recognize it when we see it. And just as important, it helps us recognize and understand that this problem of sin is not just simply something that we notice out there, but it's something that we can actually recognize in our own lives and our own hearts as well. That this sin has, is something that has polluted and, and corrupted the entire created world, and that, that includes us. Now, now, we've gotten in some trouble, right, particularly in reform circles, that we kind of forget that, that God created the world and called it good. And, and, we've, and sometimes we've overemphasized, but no, every person is an image bearer of God. Like, okay, there's this, ba- but, but also that sin has its fingers on, on everything, Right? So it doesn't mean that that goodness or beauty has disappeared. It just means that sin has touched everything in this created world. And so this frames how we explain certain things in our world, right? And so when we think about human selfishness, right, we we can say that that's not simply our, our primal instincts of survival, which would be one way of understanding selfishness, like that's just your instincts of survival. No, we can say, no, that's that's sin. 
or, or looking at bigger things like, like structural sins, like institutions like, like slavery or colonialism or, or a group of people conquesting and, and destroying another. But we don't describe that as, as the natural sorting out of the species. No, we say that's, that's sin and that's evil. And that's not part of God's original order of things. Or even this, for, for us as the human race, our thirst for more to consume at the cost of desecrating God's good earth because we want more. No, 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 that's, that's sin. And we can name it as that and address it. That's important. Sin. Creation, sin. And then we notice that even here in these first 11 chapters, that's not the end of this movement of scripture. Third, we learn from these, even these first 11 chapters that God does not sit idly by. That God acts. He does something. God, God will intervene and God intervenes to restrain and sometimes eliminate evil. God will not let chaos, death, and destruction, sin, and evil to continue to run rampant in his good world. We see that at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are removed from the garden, God took action because they needed to get away from the tree of life. They could not live in, for eternity with this sin and brokenness that's infiltrated the garden. So he removes them. When, when sin spirals out of control, you know, it's hard for us to, to fully wrap our mind around it, but God decided it was best to start over. Things had gotten so bad that it was best, according to God's wisdom, to just start over. And he destroyed the whole earth, saving only this remnant of Noah and his family on this ark with the animals, and there's this echo to the Garden of Eden. I don't know if you hear that, right? But Noah was broken as well. And things continued to spiral again. Again, God acted and scattered the people at Babel. God acts again, right? And again and again. Here's a, here's a way as I was just thinking about this, this kind of balance, that God is, is both patient with us, but he's also present with us. Maybe this illustration is helpful. It breaks down eventually. But think about God like, like a good parent, Okay. Like a good parent. We've, we've heard of helicopter parenting, right? The helicopter parent that hovers over their kids, like making sure that they don't make any mistakes or, or looking out for them. And, and it's just, just like, oh, like too involved, right? Or on the other side, there's, there's just the absent parent. That's like just not present, not involved. And I think one way to understand this is, is God is, is neither a helicopter parent or an absent parent. He is a good parent. He, he's, he's long-suffering, as the scriptures say. Like he will, he will let his people work things out because the, the, what he longs for us is to choose to love and to put our trust in him and so he lets things kind of work out in time but at some point, God is not absent like the deist would believe that God just set the world in motion and said good luck. No, God at some point that patience runs out and says I gotta do something because things are spiraling out of control. Now does that illustration fall apart eventually? Sure, it does, but in my mind, it just kind of helped understand that God, eventually God will intervene. And what we see throughout the biblical text is that kind of balance of God letting things go and then God at points and times intervening. Why? Because he loves his people and he longs for Eden to be restored. And what we're gonna read in this story is that work of God intervening throughout human history to rescue broken people like you and me. Whew. All right, I gotta take a breath. Three main things, creation, sin, God's action. So here's the question. Where does this intersect with our lives today? Where do these major themes that, that, that are introduced in Genesis 1, verses 11, chapters 1, verses 11, where do they intersect with us as, as followers of Jesus Christ, West Michigan, in the year 2022, right? Well, let's, let's think about that. Remember, the Bible is trying to tell us something about God and about God's world using the story of his people to reveal these things. And this story, God's story, teaches us and it helps us remember. It, it invites us in, right, to recognize that God's story is also our story. 
Like this is, this is our story. This is God's story, but it's our story. It is, it is, we are part of God's grand story of redemption. And Genesis 1 through, chapters 1 through 11 lay the foundation of our story, a story that we all share as human beings, those created in God's image. Here's the movement. Creation, sin, God's action. What, is this, what does this story tell us about us and who we are? Well, the first thing, friends, is Genesis reminds us that, that each of us has been created as those who bear the image of God. There's a lot of people in our world who are struggling to believe that. But Genesis 1 through 11 tells us that not a single person in this room is an accident or a mistake. The scriptures tell us that, that no, you have been created, you've been formed in your, in your mother's womb, that each of us are valued and loved, formed by our creator who had goodness in mind for each of us. And if, if you're struggling to believe that, hear that truth today as God's word that you are loved. God has created you, you have value, you have worth, you are an image bearer of the creator of everything we see. It's the first thing second thing that Genesis 1 through 11 and how this lands with us reminds us that there also is something wrong in this world. We, call, we say it's, it, that's called sin. And it gives us language that sin has, has corrupted God's good intent. And, and it's easy to look out there and to see evil and atrocities in our world and, and yes, we can name that. We can call it out as Sin. But we also see that sin and our propensity to serve and worship ourselves. That, that, that same temptation in chapter three where, where the, the serpent says, you know, you, wanna be, you, can, you can know what God knows. You can be like God. That same propensity is in us to serve and to worship ourselves as if we are God. We see that around us. And I don't know about you, but I, I see that propensity in my own life and the thing is, that propensity, that, that, that propensity to sin, left unchecked, continues to corrupt and destroy God's good world. It happens at an individual level, and I see it in myself. It happens at a relational level, when we see brokenness in our relationship. It, it happens at a societal level. It happens at, at a creation level, with ecosystems that are being destroyed because of our own longing to be like God. We see this reality. No one is immune. That informs us. But this th third movement is so important because this third movement, movement reminds us that God would not leave us in this broken and helpless condition. The scriptures reveal the ways in which God will continue to work throughout history Right, throughout history to bring about redemption and rescue. And next week we're gonna shift that that plan evolves and moves toward a family, a chosen people who God would use to bring redemption and restoration to his broken world. But for us as followers of Jesus Christ, what we understand is that whole narrative stream culminates in the birth of one who was born 2,000 years ago, the one we call Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, he is the one, at the end of the day, the only one who could offer rescue, redemption, and healing. Amen? <laughs> this is the large upper story. The Apostle Paul speaks of this reality in Romans chapter five. He writes this, for if by the trespass of one man, referring to Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Friends, sin entered the world but only one man, Jesus Christ, could bring about redemption and life through the obedience, the sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so friends, I, I, can, I can tell you the facts and I can tell you how much God loves you and I can say you're valued and I can talk about, I can, I can talk about different, re like God's characteristics or I could tell you a story. 
I could tell you a story about a God who was watching the brokenness from heaven play out. He said, I'm gonna do something about it. And our God in heaven, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, his beloved son, and Jesus Christ stepped into the brokenness of this world and he bore the full weight of sin and death and he was crucified on a cross. Why? Because he loved you. And God wanted to be with you and with each of us, his people. He wanted Eden to be restored. Jesus Christ died on a cross. He rose again to make a way for redemption, healing, and life. Friends, that is our story. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our story that forms us and shapes us and it's gonna be the story we're gonna continue to return to for the next 30 some weeks as long as we're in this, this study. Some of you are like, 30 weeks, whoa, yeah. It'll be good, it'll be good because God is good and God's word is good. And so friends, may that gospel story continue to shape us May, may it continue to lead us and may we continue to step into that as God's people. Those of us who did nothing to deserve it but because of God's love, God's grace, he stepped into our brokenness to bring redemption, forgiveness, healing, and life. And friends, I guess just the final word would be if, if that's something you haven't thought about in a long time or if that's something you've never thought about, I just invite you to come talk to someone. I'd, I'd love to have that conversation and just what is that gospel message? What does that mean for you today? Allow the spirit to speak truth into our lives through this community of faith who he's called his people, amen? Let's go to God with a word of prayer. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for the pages of scripture which as we said before, give us all that we need to know for our salvation. Lord, we thank you that, that you give these truths and these realities as story, as true stories that shape us and invite us in. And Lord, as, as we begin this journey through the story of, of your word, Lord, may you continue to speak into our lives, to challenge us, to encourage us, to, to speak life where we need to hear from you. And Lord, may we engage with one another and, and ask questions and have conversation and dialogue so that, Lord, we would continue to grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Lord, for some of us, this might be an opportunity to, to, to begin or to, to renew a regular rhythm of reading your word, to let the, the pages of scripture be the primary thing that forms us and not all of those voices that are competing all around us. Lord, for some of us, maybe we've been challenged with hearing this good news, this gospel truth of, of Christ, your death, your resurrection, and what that means for us. Lord, we pray that you would create space for conversation. Lord, we thank you for this gospel. May it continue to form us and shape us in all that we say and do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us. the power to raise the dead who can save us from our sin he is our hope our righteousness Jesus only Jesus who can make the blind to see the keys that set us free he paid it all to bring us peace Jesus only Jesus Holy King Almighty
fellowship afterward. Take advantage of that if you can. Someone will be in here kind of directing, kind of turning over the room. If you can help with that, I'm sure that'd be appreciated. Uh, but, but don't miss the opportunity uh, to be with one another. If you want to talk with me or about the gospel or anything, I would love that conversation. But Jesus, only Jesus can be what we need. Hold on to that truth as you go from here. Receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. God's people say, amen. Stick around for some pork. <laughs> I cast my cares on. I cast my cares on. I cast my cares on you. My cares on. I cast my cares on. I cast my cares on you. you have 